I think they should review bomb us. Fine. Actually, <laughs> I welcome any kind of reviews at this point. So please. Today we are discussing the highly anticipated season two of The Boys. Uh, so let's start with a little bit of controversy. In, let's do it. Yeah. In the Boys, why not? So individual episodes of season two are being released weekly, and fans seem to be very mad about it. Um, so mad, in fact, that they are review bombing the show on Amazon with a bunch of one-star ratings. Care to explain? First to the why of the review bombing, you explained it briefly, but I want to kind of expand on it. I'm going to read a couple quotes. Love the show. Hate the weekly release. If I wanted to wait, I would still have cable. It's hmm. kind of harsh. This is crazy. Didn't even notice until the end of the third episode. Expected to watch the whole season. I'm pissed. Back to Netflix. Three episodes. Are you serious? Absolute crap. I settled in to binge the season only to get stopped at three. Ridiculous. Release it all. I was excited to look forward to something. This year sucks. You surprised me with your decision to make it suck more. Uh, one was just titled Release the Episodes, You Monsters. And another called it Boomer-type television. A lot of them uh, very pro-Netflix camp, so... I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in and say they all sound like brats. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, hot take right there is that this is just... These are the brattiest complaints I've ever heard in my I think, life. I think they should review bomb us. Fine, actually. <laughs> I welcome any kind of reviews at this point, so... <laughs> Please. Like I said, a lot of people leaving these reviews kept referencing Netflix. So my take on this is that for a show like The Witcher or Altered Carbon, where you'll have a lot of confusing perspective and timeline threads, along with a more external action type of story, releasing it all at once for a binge is better than week by week. You can just kind of like take it all in, get the whole story and figure it out over a period of a couple hours rather than having to remember oh what happened last week the boys though is a more linear story it's more about the building dread very much like breaking bad and one thing i loved about breaking bad was honestly was the waiting week by week for the next episode because i just i stress watched that show and i honestly i found i couldn't when i got behind at one point i couldn't watch more than one episode a week so i got i got a little behind at one point on the dvr but I think that I, I I understand the argument that people don't have things like work and social engagements and, you know, going outside their homes uh, that fill the week between the episodes. But and I and I know that it's easier for like me to space out episodes like I did with Ozark, which Netflix released all at once. And someone else can kind of binge it. I think that the review bombing is still a little over the top. I am a fan for this particular show of the weekly schedule. That being said, I really doubt anyone at Amazon is really sweating much. First off, all these people review bombing are people that are still going to watch the show. Yeah, that's so. the funny part about all of this. It's like it's like they love the show so much that they're angry that it's yeah. they, they can't binge it all at once. So yeah, if I were and, Amazon, I you know, no sweat off my back. Yeah, and on paper, sure, The Boys is now two and a half stars out of, you know, however many reviews, but it's getting a lot of buzz that this is why it's getting <laughs> those those one-star reviews and why its reviews are dragged down. So 
it's like all the people that would have been watching it are watching it and reviewing it. And it's not really hurting the show. Nobody that was going to watch is looking at the rating going, oh, well, it's only rated two and a half stars. I don't think I'm going to watch that one. Uh, and also, this is not even their first one-star review campaign that they've dealt with. Uh, in season one, they had their own one-star review sprint, uh, particularly with people taking issue with, and I'm going to quote a few of the tweets here, uh, or a few of the reviews here, preached, to the, preached about same-sex relationships in, and this is in all caps, every single superhero and sci-fi production. Um People saying America and Christianity were being, quote, attacked and mocked. One that said one that all they said was anti-Christian, anti-conservative, anti-capitalism, nothing redeemable about this show. Uh, And I mean, one one person said that they should just take that, take all those one star reviews and make them a campaign. And they did. They made it an actual ad campaign for the show. So uh, this is nothing new for for the boys for Amazon. I don't think they're going to really sweat too much about people venting. Yeah. So take me through the first three episodes. Um, all, all three episodes were released. Um, so it sounds like everyone's just as chaotic and conflicted as ever. But the events of season one have given sort of new layers and complexities to these familiar characters. Yeah. So this is the point where I got to warn everybody. There's going to be spoilers yes. for the first three episodes. If you haven't watched the first three episodes, I highly recommend you hitting pause, watching, and then coming back to this. Although my guess is that a lot of people yeah, have yeah. binged the first three Everybody episodes. that was going to binge the show or even watch it one at a time has probably, at this point, watched the first three episodes. So it starts out gory as ever. Um, and it is just, yeah, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of exploding heads internally and externally exploding. Uh Anthony Starr, uh, really like just Homelander's creepiness is still just cranked up to 11. I, I just get, I get the dread of, of Walter White, but a little different from him. He just, just gives off this vibe of he could, because he's so, you know, he's so powerful. He's just, yeah, he's still the creepiest guy out there. And now that the bear is getting poked, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it's, it's even more dangerous. Uh, for Maeve, we start getting more of her backstory. She starts getting fleshed out a bit more. That was actually uh, one of the one of the mean reviews that they had uh, that they had her read from from season one is that Maeve didn't really have a that big of a storyline. And she just said, oh, hey, more screen time for Queen Maeve. And so we're getting a bit more of that. We're learning that she has someone that she cares for someone from her past who. I am betting will almost definitely be dead by the end of the season. Uh, Deep goes off the deep end, pun intended, with his drinking and a bit of an emotional, like continuation of his emotional breakdown from being kicked out of the seven. Uh, We learn a bit more about how fragile his mental state is. And we have this very, very polarizing from what I saw in the reviews. Sort of mushroom trip where he talks to his gills and i believe that I, it sounded like his gills were were voiced by pat oswald i am not 100 sure i did not do my research on that part of it but it definitely sounded like pat oswald and it was just a, it was it was a very we're seeing we're seeing him join a scientology kind of religion 
to cope with being kicked out of the seven. So it's uh, it you know he's he's got stuff going on. Black Noir still you know not speaking. We actually saw him go on a mission, saw him get burnt up. Um, not dead, obviously, but you know, and uh, I mean if you're if you've watched the first three episodes, then you know that also A Train is back, and that could pro- cause problems for Starlight. So we do have some new characters this season. Uh, Stormfront being the most highly anticipated character. Yes. She's played by Aya Cash, who's best known for playing Gretchen Cutler in You're the Worst. But she was also in The Wolf of Wall Street and The Newsroom. And we have Vought CEO Stan Edgar, played by Giancarlo Esposito. Obviously best known as Gus Fring from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But he's also famous for being in a bunch of popular titles including the mandalorian once upon a time the get down and the maze runner movie series so talk me through how these new characters are shaking things up yeah so stormfront is introduced pretty quickly she so she's been built up in the previews you know that she is one of the nasty soups she's definitely a bad guy but the way they play her up in the beginning, you almost seem like she could be on Huey and Starlight's side with the whole screw Vought feelings. Uh, but really, uh, very quickly in those first three episodes, cements herself as Homelander Jr. with the brutality and uh, and surprising racism. Some sort of history with her as a soup from back in the day named Liberty is... Is interesting. They're they're alluding to something that I have a theory about that I'm going to bring up later. But let's let's get through the rest of Stormfront's kind of background first. So in the book, Stormfront's a man, a, mem- a member of the superhero team Payback. Uh, think something like the Outsiders in DC or X Force in Marvel's universe. If you have a better superhero team analogy, let me know. I'm open to all analogies. But making uh, making Stormfront a woman in the show really adds a layer of complexity for Homelander who has pretty much every, (laughs) every kind of prejudice and terrible, terrible character flaw you can think of. So he's very obviously a misogynist and Stormfront taking the spotlight from him and hunting down what they call a super terrorist really starts to push him over the edge. That's the poking the bear that I was talking about where he's definitely snap and very, very soon, uh, and it's going to be a big conflict between the two of them, two very, very powerful soups. Uh, Homelander is not at all the model of control. So uh, look forward to stress watching that one. Yeah. So I've heard some other things about Stormfront. You actually alluded to it earlier. So showrunner Eric Kripke describes Stormfront um, as a racist piece of garbage. And the writer's room actually said that they took further inspiration from alt-right trolls on social media and platforms like Reddit. So can yeah. you elaborate on that? Yeah. So she she's introduced as being very social savvy. She's doing a, a, uh, a TikTok or a Facebook Live, I forget which, uh, when she first walks up uh, to meet Maeve and Homelander. So very carries herself like a like a younger millennial but uh, also very much shows herself to be a, a, a racist. And and so I and I think that has something to do with she's somehow attached to the old 1940s. Soups that were created by the original soups that were created by Vought, because 
it's not just that she's racist. She also uses a very antiquated racist term for uh, for Asian people, specifically for a, a Japanese character. And so it just like it struck me as a very like out of place racist thing, which, yeah, I mean, no racist thing has a <laughs> comment has its place. But it was it was very like, oh, there's something going on here, like from from back in the day. But her, so her name also evokes racist images. Uh, Stormfront is the name of a neo-Nazi website that uh, operated from 1996 to 2017. Uh, and a lot of things with with Storm in the title, Daily Stormer, things like that are are generally neo-Nazi things. The neo-Nazi websites, neo-Nazi organizations, things like that. And I just I could not every time I heard Stormfront in the promos, all I could think was was white supremacist. So it was it was very it's it's very weird. Um, and I know that uh, that the writers wanted to make a point about how hate manifests in in really subtle ways these days through social media and and influencers. And like you said, they they took like alt right and they kind of they even for her character took it out of the basement and and kind of glammed it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the quotes is the monsters are not wearing 1960s crew cuts. They're attractive and they're savvy and you have to be aware of that. And it's, you can see her building a bit of a, a fan following where she's going to draw people in and it's going to kind of normalize her racism. And, and it's interesting because Aya herself is Jewish, uh, but she understood that there, that the show's vision for the character and it was its potential to spark a really difficult conversation around the reality of racism and how racism isn't just this nasty, ugly ogre. It can be dressed up as something nice and you have to be able to recognize it. Interesting. So who have we not met yet? So uh, Soldier Boy, we know, is going to be introduced. He's been mentioned in passing by Mr. Edgar uh, when when Mr. Edgar's talking to Homelander about about the history of Vought uh, during this during this kind of tense scene between the two of them. And he's going to be played by Supernatural star Jensen Ackles in season three. So we're not going to see him just yet, but there's going to be a. Like I said, some kind of connection between Stormfront and the 1940s soups that Vought originally created because like I said there's just there's things about her that have been dropped both through dialogue and through images in the show that that show that there's something there's something weird something kind of Captain America frozen in the ice kind of thing going on with her um and then just just to kind of round out the soups I just want to mention uh, you know, where Starlight is right now. So, cause she kind of straddles the line between the soups and the quote, good guys. So she's still pissed at Huey from season one, but they're also still working together to try to take down Vaught. And she's still, you know, like I said, a train's back and that is going to cause big problems for Starlight. He's already in the first three episodes here, threatened to blackmail her. Fortunately, she's, getting a little more savvy about things and is able to call him out and say, Hey, if you were going to tell someone you would have told them by now and kind of forces a train into a corner. And so when she releases 
the compound V to the media and everybody finds out that soups are created, not born. A train kind of can't rat her out at that point because he knew before she did it. So there's a, there's some, there's some, a lot of tense stuff going on between, between a train and starlight. And she is still straddling that world between being in the seven and helping, helping the boys. So speaking of the quote unquote good guys, how are how are Huey and friends doing? So first couple episodes, uh, we see uh, the first episode or two, we see Huey taking charge in kind of a Huey way, trying to manage Frenchie, MM and, and Kimiko while Butcher is missing because at the end of last season, uh, Homelander kind of snatched Butcher up and revealed to Butcher that his wife is still alive and he has no idea where he is in in the world he assumes he's still in the states but the 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 rest of the crew has no idea where butcher is um so huey's trying to trying to be the boss but also trying to work with starlight to take down vaught so he's kind of you know in a very in a very weird conflicted position where he's got to keep things from starlight and he's got to keep things from mm frenchie and kimiko and it's just a bad position for for huey to be in uh as for mm not seeing his wife and daughter is really taking a toll on him he he's kind of coping with that by focusing on painting and furnishing this vermont dollhouse um probably for his daughter but even if it's not it like just seems like a great stress reliever like just him just there just doing very exact measurements with this tiny little T square and everything. It's, <laughs> it's great. He's like measuring out the rooms and stuff. Um, man takes care in, in, and precision in his work. Uh, Frenchie is kind of trying to hold things together with these, with these smugglers that they're kind of like living underneath this, uh, convenience store with these guys. I think they're, I believe they're Haitian. They, they only speak French. And so, you know, Frenchie's clearly the, uh, the conduit between them and all the English speakers. And, and meanwhile, he's still getting more and more attached to Kimiko. Uh, and for her part, uh, Kimiko's learning how to write. We, we get to find out a bit about why she doesn't speak. It's not that she's mute. It's that, uh, when she and her brother were kidnapped by, uh, by the terrorist group that took them from and killed their parents. Uh, she just, she just, stop speaking that day. Uh, but she does, you know, very obviously from the first season, but now definitely in this season, she understands English and Japanese and this sign language that she and her brother made up. But she gets to get a little bit more of an in-depth look at her backstory this season. And she's starting to have to make more nuanced judgment calls, not just, you know, rip this guy's face off. Don't rip this guy's face off though. She does have some of that. And Butcher, yes, does end up back with the crew. It's not really a spoiler since we saw a preview um, of since we saw a preview of him with the with the rest of the guys, though. I will say I watched that preview so many times that I forgot that it didn't happen last season. And when I saw it happening in episode three, I I was like, oh, no, holy crap. That's that's (laughs) that was this season. I forgot that wasn't last season. Uh, now that he knows his wife is alive, he is very much on a mission to get Colonel Mallory to help him f- like figure out where she is. And he 
is just about willing to sacrifice anyone and anything to find her and to save her from Homelander. Awesome. So now that we're all caught up, how do you how do you feel about season two? How's how are the characters? How are the how's the acting? So I I think the acting on this show is just so good. Uh, Like like I said, I, I watched the show before I read the books and I don't know if anyone if anyone did the opposite or if anyone read the books before they watched the show. But I just Carl Urban's butcher is just so amazing. And I'm I like him better than the butcher in the books, though. I did go back and read the first book again just recently. And I will say my first reaction to Butcher and Huey in the books was a little harsh. I I had said that I did not like them at all. They're not so bad, but I do like that Carl Urban's Butcher very clearly doesn't know everything, doesn't have a plan for everything, kind of is flailing at times. Uh, I Jack Quaid is so great as Huey. Uh, I, I get that, you know, I would have seen if I had just read the books and the show was in development, I would have thought, you know, oh, Simon Pegg's going to be Huey because Huey's written very much as a, as like, um, uh, a Shaun of the Dead meets Scotty kind of character, which are two Simon Pegg characters. But I think I, I love that they cast Jack Quaid in this part that they, that they give him whatever direction they give him because he is he is so good at the at the I'm just trying to do the right thing man and he's just a regular person he's not one of the boys who have been you know doing black ops stuff before he's not one of the soups he is just this regular guy whose girlfriend got killed by a soup and who wants to he wants to get revenge, but he also doesn't necessarily want to get his hands too dirty. And just that, like that interplay between those two things, Jack Quaid does a great job. Uh, and I mean, Tomer Capon and Laz Alonzo deliver some of the funniest and most outrageous characters. And yet they're still very, very believable. I think that they, you know, just like the spontaneous stuff that Frenchie does, uh, and just the way that MM reacts to things, uh, the two of them do uh, like a fantastic job at kind of making the characters their own because you can very much see like the differences between their characters that they depict on the show and the source material. But you can still see where they're getting kind of their inspiration from. And uh, I mean, Karen Fukuhara does an amazing job having no lines uh, and having a kind of give everything through through facial expressions through you know gestures and stuff like that i mean she is learning how to write so Mm -hmm. she's written a couple words and we do kind of get a view into into her thoughts when she's talking to her brother in their made-up sign language so get a little more dialogue i guess you could call it but air moriarty uh as starlight doing a great job kind of having her evolve from this Midwestern girl to, uh, you know, understanding more about the cynicism of the world and, and the kind of dark side of the superheroes, but she still 
very much like Huey has that kind of naivete about both of them. Both of them have complementary naivete and cynicism and and they're not too overlapping. Uh, so it's it's very, very interesting. She's she's also really good at at playing up that that dread of being found out when she's trying to steal the compound V. Uh, and I mean, Giancarlo Esposito, I, as the kids say, I'm here for it. He's not playing Gus Fring and he's not playing like, he's not a ripoff of Gus Fring, even though he's another very menacing boss type of guy. You get the sense of command and manipulation that Giancarlo just somehow is able to deliver it just with his facial expressions, with his tone of voice he's not someone you mess with and and it's sometimes unclear who is more dangerous him or the sociopathic homelander and i but i mean if if there can be only one i mean if i see giancarlo my money's on him every time i mean it didn't work out so well for him in breaking bad but i mean i that still a spoiler <laughs> i mean that show ended that show ended you know what eight years ago. So I, I don't think that's a spoiler, but, um, but yeah, Giancarlo's going to play it really well, whether his character wins or loses, he, you're going to get just some amazing performances out of him. Yeah. So what do we think is in store for the rest of the season? So, like I said, I think that there's going to be some kind of thing where they tie Stormfront into the 1940s heroes. We're probably not going to get that paid off until season three because Jensen Ackles isn't going to be Soldier Boy until season three. But I mean, we know that there's going to be a season three, that they're already planning yeah. out season three. So that's a big thing. Uh, I think we're, uh, what I'm hoping is that we get this like butcher getting like this close to finding his wife and keep like slipping off that ledge and just not making it. Because that would really, I think, carry the season. I think we're also going to see kind of a little bit of a soup civil war between Stormfront and Homelander. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I think it would be, even though, like, there's definitely going to be a lot of civilian casualties with with the two of them probably duking it out in public. We've already seen previews of Homelander's heat vision ripping through a crowd. But I think it's going to be better for everybody if Homelander and Stormfront fight each other, because if they found some way to not hate each other, they could do some real, real damage. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how Starlight navigates all that, because she would be target number one uh, after, you know, Huey and, and the rest of the guys. And she's also the most exposed, because she's with the Seven every day. They know where she is. She's microchipped. Um, but I also think that seeing how a train reacts this season, uh, since he's the one that he's the one that really kicked off everything in season one by running through Robin, Huey's girlfriend, uh, seeing how he deals with having been put in the hospital, uh, knowing that starlight is working with the, with the boys and this, you know, condition that he has where he's, you know, you know, seems to be on the verge of exploding. Uh, that's going to be interesting to watch. And, and I think that, you know, how Maeve 
how her storyline develops. I hope she gets more screen time because she she's being played up right now since the middle of last season as the more reasonable character uh, that's in the seven. But that could very quickly turn or, you know, she could <laughs> Homelander could always kill her. That is that is the possibility for Homelander. And then finally, just I, I'm I'm excited to watch Deep's journey through hallucinogens and this Scientology like religion and just him figuring out how to love himself and how to think he's beautiful and how to save all the goldfish in the pet store. Uh, I lovely. Yes, I I'm excited for for Deep's journey. That's going to be. It's going to be interesting. So I'm I'm excited for the rest of the season. I'm excited for every week that we get from here on out because every week will bring us a new The Boys episode. So we are going to do um, a lightning round of questions. Uh, so I'll kick it off. What was the most epic scene so far? Ooh, probably, probably the whale scene. Even though it was in the the teaser that we've all been watching, just seeing it happen and seeing Huey just sitting in the whale and M.M. come crawling in after him and be like, well, listen, man, if you're going to sit in this rotting whale carcass, so am I. Uh, that was that was it was pretty great, pretty gruesome, but pretty great. The best fight scene so far. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. So. Best only because it was the most oh fight scene. It was a very lopsided fight scene. It was Stormfront against Kimiko's brother. She where she she because he is uh, a telekinetic. He can move move stuff with his hands. She just snaps his hands off at the wrists and then uh, and then murders him. Uh, that was pretty like oh my god. Um, and then I guess I guess all leading up to that, their fight scene through this uh, through this apartment building that kind of just like destroys and kills a lot of people. Funniest moment so far. Oh man, probably probably MM threatening Huey by saying, "If you are the reason I don't finish this Vermont dollhouse, I will hurt you." Um, that was that was pretty good. And finally, your prediction for the next one to die. Ooh. Oh, next one to die. Next character that we've already met that's going to die is... I think it's... You can say no one. If you if you don't think we're going to have well, a, a big loss someone's going to die. I think it's going to be... Well... If someone were to die, okay, I don't necessarily think they're definitely going to die, but if someone were to die, I would say, number one, it would be Maeve's ex-girlfriend, Elena, who she's been hiding from Homelander. And number two, I would say A-Train or Butcher's Wife. Tragic. So yeah, a lot of... uh, Lock on. Though I think I think A Train more because they're really building up his uh, his like debilitation. So I think A Train might die. If if the boys were if it weren't that you know certain characters are main characters, I would I would definitely say either Huey or Starlight because the two of them are the most 
the most at risk, the most exposed, and have the most to lose, I think. Interesting. Except, well, I guess M.M. has more to lose because he's got a wife and a daughter, so. Yeah. But uh, I don't think they could take away M.M.'s wife or daughter. That would be that would be too much. That would be wrong. It, it is the boys. It is the boys. Boys, don't do that, please. <laughs> um, let M.M. just get back to watch his daughter play soccer. That's all I want. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'll take one-star reviews. We've already told you. Just tell <laughs> us why it's a one-star review. If you can tell us why we get a one-star review, we'll take it. Uh, check us out on Geek Prime X on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, geek.prime, where we give you a little roundup of geek news. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook and YouTube, and you can always read features and articles anytime at geek-prime.com. <laughs>